PJ Coogan and Kitchen Table Productions present 20 Minutes With, a short podcast for a busy world. Hello and welcome again to 20 Minutes With, episode number 36. All previous episodes are on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. My guest today is a writer and historian from Newry in County Down. A few years ago, Brona McAtasney's Teenage Diaries from the 1980s was a big hit on Twitter. Now her very personal story of growing up in Newry during the Northern Troubles has been included in a new book called The New Frontier, Reflections from the Irish Border. Brona and I also have a connection, but more about that later. First, I wanted to talk to her a little bit about what they call being a child of the Troubles. Well, it's one of those things where if you don't know any better, you don't know that what you're living through is completely weird and bizarre to the outside world. So it's not that I remember every bit of it and I'm traumatized by every bit of it because I'm not, you know, a few things stand out in my head, but really um, I suppose it's only when you look back and maybe you see photographs or things like that, you think, God, yeah, I remember having to go and be searched going into every shop in Belfast, no matter what age you were. Or uh, I remember, you know, the huge detours around town when you tried to get home, but there were maybe 17 or 20 bomb scares around the city and the whole place was shut down. So, you know, things like that that are kind of day by day, you forget until you're reminded. And then obviously there are some like horribly traumatic things. And we were we were very lucky as a family. We were relatively unscathed by it all. But, um, you know, like various... Uh, attacks that would have happened near our home and um, there was a very large uh, mortar bomb attack on the police station in Newry uh, just when I was doing my A-levels so I'd be about 17 or something like that and we lived right around the corner so that was pretty shocking because that was very loud obviously and then everything was shut down we couldn't get out of our house and and, uh, nine police officers died so um you're kind of struck by those things at the in the heat of the moment, but on the day-to-day basis, you don't really, it doesn't register as, as anything of the normal. That in itself, though, is a strange one, isn't it? That was your normal growing up. That must shape you as a person. I think looking back on it now, and I think now that I have a child of my own, the idea of any child going through that is horrific to me. Um, I think that we don't realize how much it affects us until something happens. Like, I mean, just recently, I mean, just last week, it's it's Halloween, you know, and uh, growing up, we, there was no fireworks up here because obviously for various reasons, they were illegal. But now it's kind of a free for all. And I still hate the sound of like loud bangs. And, you know, a lot of people do, but I know why I hate them, you know, and it's because it reminds me of, uh, you know, the sounds kind of in the background shooting and bombs and stuff like that. But um, so there are definitely things that have, that have impact me still. And as I said, PJ, I'm not by any means one of the worst affected people up here. So I don't know how people who lived in really bad areas. Yeah, but is it, fa- is it fair to say like that kind of anybody who grew up in the North? I mean, what, what age were you around the time that it got really bad you were you were in school so it can't not affect you 
No, it cannot affect you. Cannot. I mean, you know, you you've probably heard people say before that that everyone in Northern Ireland of a certain age suffers from a certain level of post-traumatic stress and you know I think that's true and um, I think that it, it manifests itself in, in some people very obviously and some people are hugely impacted by it but I think just in your your day-to-day living things will kind of creep up on you or um, re- memories will kind of come back and you're just you know it, it, you know of course it's not normal looking back it's not normal mm. but um, it takes, I think it takes decades for these things to work their way out of people. I really do. Yeah. You were very close to your dad. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it was, was it his job that moved you to Newry in the first place? Yes. Uh, I grew up in Hollywood, which is a really nice area on the outside of Belfast. And uh, my dad was a linen weaver from Lurgan in County Armagh. And he was the last man to be able to hand weave Irish linen on one of those big old looms, the ones that have the punch card system to them, jacquard loom. So he uh, had done that from the age of 14 and worked at it, but obviously the linen industry kind of was was dying even by the time he started. Hmm. And so he ended up working um, in the Ulster Folk Museum in Hollywood, which is why we moved there. <laughs> My mum used to say he made an exhibition of himself every day. <laughs> and uh, so he decided that um, he wanted to pass on the craft because that was really, I mean, his his weaving was his entire life. He loved it above everything bar us. And um, he was invited to move down to Newry to teach young people how to weave and so we relocated down to Newry and that was in 1978 so uh, like a pretty rough time to be kind of upended out of a nice comfortable fairly middle class life in a mixed neighborhood in Hollywood to be dropped into Newry which was then I think at that point the most bombed town in Europe. Oh yeah a stone's throw from the border of course. Yeah only about six miles maybe at the most down to Omeath. To us, Southerners, as it were, Newry was the place you went for cheap booze at Christmas and when you could. And I remember shopping there with my dad on a visit to the north and it was kind of, well, this is the place from the north that you're safest in because nothing ever happens here. So how wrong were we? Yeah, I know, I know. I remember all the Southerners coming up and they used to have to, they could only let people into the off licenses at 10 at a time. Like the queue would be down the street. <laughs> all used ones buying all your alcohol. <laughs> uh, so there used to be, there used to be busloads of, of owl ones used to get on in Dublin outside the Gresham Hotel on the Saturday morning and they'd go shopping and they'd nearly need a second bus to get all the shopping back. Yeah. Yeah, it was one of the best things to happen to. Well, there was Newry, and I think then if you're on the West Coast, there was Enniskillen hmm. and Derry, obviously. So um, that was the best thing to happen to Newry, although um, where all that money went, I don't know. <laughs> Probably best not to be investigating that. <laughs> no. Brona, when did you start to write the diary? The diary specifically... I guess I kept a couple when I was very kind of getting into that eight, nine, ten age. But my first proper diary I got was the one that I've kept. And that's the one from 1981. So I was 13 
um, and I got it for Christmas, and it was one of those little tiny blue, what is little tiny blue plastic thing? You know, it's a really tiny, uh, only maybe a, a couple of inches big, and it had that what I call Bible paper, yeah, like tissue really paper, yeah, yeah. yeah, like tissue paper, and uh, it was a day per page diary, and I can't even remember who got it for me, but I know I got it for Christmas, and so I just thought, right, I'm going to start to keep this. And uh, I remember when I started, I decided I was going to try to write things down as the day went on and then realized that wasn't really very, <laughs> very good idea. So I just end up doing it every night and I kept it solidly then for the year. Mm. When did you rediscover it? My sister found it in a drawer. Yeah, my sister had kept it. I don't know. We're, we're a family of uh, orders, I guess, and she had kept it and had, had floated around for a while and I was in America for quite a long time so she had kept some of my stuff for me for safekeeping and she happened to find this in a drawer maybe about what was it, about eight years ago maybe now and uh, the two of us just were wetting ourselves laughing at it because it was so ridiculously dramatic and um, just really funny and I you know, brought all the memories back and um, also found at that stage my little uh, chart diary as well, which I remember buying in pennies. Uh, we went to visit our relatives down in Santry in Dublin, uh, going to pennies and finding this little pop chart book and deciding to write down the top 20. So the two were kind of same year, just decided you know, to do both of them. Yeah, because I remember finding you on Twitter, the diary, mm -hmm. and then I saw the charts. And as a kid... I used to do exactly the same thing. I had copy books full of of charts. And when you looked back later, and what? Why did I? Why did I do that? They were printed in the newspaper anyway. Like, why did I do that? Well, if you were like me, you did it because you just really loved the music. Like, it was it was so hard to kind of come by music. It wasn't like you could just press the button and access any song you wanted to. Hmm. You really had to work hard to find it. And then I think because of that, um, you almost it wasn't like you liked every single song, but your tastes were more eclectic because you just had to work that little bit harder to find things. You know, you had certain groups and whatever that you really, really loved, but hmm. all of that music... Um, it was something to talk about in school and, uh, you know, it was something that you could like, bond with people over and, um, you know, I just really loved it. And I think, yeah, you could have kept, you know, you could have just kept it in the, the newspapers or something like that, but you, you weren't going to keep those. And how lucky were we really that mm -hmm. we did? Because what I find is when I look back on the charts, you know, when you have those 80s shows or, you know, 70s and 80s, it does tend to be the same songs. You know, it's all like the cliched idea of the 80s but when you look back at those charts they were a lot more complicated mm -hmm. than just a load of madonna and adam and the ants you know it wasn't like that at all it was so varied i mean we were very lucky because it was very very varied time for music there was a lot of stuff going on and it was political or it was pop or it was silly or it was dark but it was you know thank goodness like when i look back on those charts and i see songs that i've forgotten because they don't get played now, you know, the way they did them. That's right. And, and as a child of the 80s, I completely uh, identify with that because when you look back and you see, like, there was 40 songs in that chart and you only ever hear four of them on the radio now. Yeah. And you, yeah. you know, uh, and 
it was the sky you were really into, the sky and the madness. Oh, and you, 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 yeah. you wanted to marry Suggs, did you? <laughs> I don't think I'd say no if he asked me still. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't, you know, I can remember, it's one of those moments I can remember the first time I heard Madness and it was The Prince, which was their first single. Mm. And it was literally just like, oh! I mean, I can remember now where I was standing and it's like, what is this? And then that became, you know, in that lovely teenage way, that became my obsession because as a teenager, you're allowed to have obsessions, aren't you? Mm. So um, I really just fell in love with that whole music, the whole feel of it. Um, all the bands, they were so cool looking. They were like nothing else that I had been before that. I mean, ABBA were like my whole life and still adore ABBA, of course. But there was something about this that was different and it kind of spoke to me, I don't know, in a mm. different way. Did you do the clothes and the hair and the boots? Oh, yeah. The- yeah, yeah. I had little black jacket covered in badges and uh, my hair was short and the white socks and the loafers and the, the whole thing, yeah, hmm. yeah. Like, these were very, very English bands, and here you were growing up in Newry uh, when some people at least hated all things English. Did that ever become a thing? No, um, I mean, you're right, of course, you know, and first of all, they were extremely English-looking, and um, their sound was very particular though of course it came from Jamaica and stuff like that but I had a very English feel to it but I still I think that at that time anyway they were part of a movement that was kind of protesting against the way of life at the time and you know like you look at something like Ghost Town which is so dark and is about a a town that has been like ravaged by lack of jobs and violence and everything and, and really kind of felt like you know even though that was about Coventry, it could have been about Newry just mm. as easily. Mm. When did you get or did you eventually get to see them live? Yeah, not for a long time because they only came once, I think, in the 80s. And I was too young. So I eventually got to see them. God, it's not even 2007 or something ridiculous. When we were all far too old to be dancing around. And uh, I've seen them like every time they come. Yeah. They come back, we go and see them. We're going to see them again now in the end of November. And I met Suggs. So, you know, but... The, propo- the proposal didn't come, no? <laughs> no. Still happily married. <laughs> <laughs> Having a, a youngster of, of your own, and you, you, your, your diary on social media about raising a teenager, and I have to laugh because my kids are 24 now, that's a whole new life, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't want to patronise them. I don't want to say, oh, poor them, and we had it so good because, I mean, I grew up in a war and he doesn't have to grow up in a war. So, um, but I do feel that that we had advantages and we had freedom that they don't have. You know, the freedom to make your mistakes without judgment. And um, I do feel that, you know, I do feel bad for them that they they have kind of lost that a bit. You know, there's no hiding away from your mistakes, you know? I wouldn't have, I, that's, that's, I wouldn't have expected that now. Sorry, we had freedom that they don't have, or you had freedom that they don't have, but you grew up in one yeah. of the most bombed towns in Europe. Yeah, 
I know what you mean. You would think that, but no, we were allowed to go out just as much as, as yeah. everybody else. Like we cycled around the town for hours on end. And, you know, I think maybe it's a sad reflection, but we knew where not to go. Mm. And, um, you know, we knew like if you, you know, if there was soldiers or something coming towards you, you would just kind of turn around and go back in case something happened in front of you, you know, and, or they took a, took a disliking to you for any reason. Mm. So, you know, and I think, you know, in your own hometown, you know, the shortcuts that people from outside the town don't, don't you? So if you had to make a quick getaway, you could be down a couple of streets and up a side alley and away home before anybody could spot you, you know? Does he ever ask you about those times? Not at all. Doesn't think they exist or he thinks they're all in black and white. (laughs) He, uh, he had to do a history project. This is a depressing, but he had to do a history project on the hunger strikers. And first of all, I re- was just refusing to accept that was history. And then I said, you know, but sure, I was there and I've got my diary. And he was just like, oh, I'll just Google it. So, <laughs> Really? <laughs> well, because they're not interested, are they? Like, are, you know, no matter what we say about our our young life and, and childhood, everything like that, you know, that at that age, they don't appreciate it. Now, in years to come, in the same way as I learned to appreciate what my family and predecessors had to say yeah. he'll come around i'm sure and appreciate it too because you went you went to college didn't you and you studied history and now you're art working in, in an archive so history is kind of your life now what is that what is it that you do right now i work in northern ireland screen which is the film agency for northern ireland and uh, i work on the archives for ulster television from 1959 to 1969. So I get to look at all the old black and white newsreels and film from that time made by Ulster Television and then prepare it to go onto the website so everybody can look at it and uh, also look at different ways to use it um, to ask artists to kind of create things around the archives to help us all look at the past in Mm. different ways, you know, and, and... it's great. I love it. I'm really lucky. The book that you've got the story in, it's important, isn't it, to commit personal histories to books like that? It's very important. And I think not only is it important to commit stories, but it's important to gather all the stories. So I think there is such a tendency, I and mean, we see it everywhere, really, that history is always written by the same people. Mm. And it's not especially up in Northern Ireland, but quite, you know, really here, we um, we tend to look at like either the gunman or the politician for the story. And of course, that's not a reflection of life here at all. And um, I think in addition to that, there are very few women's voices in all of these things, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And, you know, let's face it, the women have the stories that need to be told. And um, so I think books like The New Frontier perform very important roles because they gather the stories of people who don't get heard otherwise. And also because inside this book, the stories aren't simply like narratives of this is what happened to me, but it's, you know, poetry or essays or memoirs or all different kinds of of experiences from people and what I liked about it too is that it is 
focusing on border voices, hmm. which I think people who live along the border on both sides are really neglected. Like they're the people actually really most impacted on a day-to-day basis by the border. But how many times do people ask us what we think about it, you know? So it's really lovely that that uh, James Patterson has decided to to find people on the border and focus especially on those voices because they're not heard, you know. How did how did you happen to be in it? Oh, it's now Nuri connection. <laughs> Nuri people are all about connecting with other Nuri people. Um, I met James a few years ago. We were showing another author, uh, our author called Robert McLean Wilson who lives in Paris, but was coming home to to write a thing about the border and came to Newry. And uh, James and I were put in charge of, of chaperoning him about the town. And uh, that's how we met. And we must have done something right because he was supposed to only be here for two days. And after about a week, we had to tell him to go home. So he really, he really loved Newry. And uh, that was how I met James and uh, just kept in touch. He's, he's fabulous. I mean, in his own right. He's an amazing poet, an amazing poet. He uh, also now works for the Irish Post, just uh, started working for the Irish Post. So um, he's really like well-versed on, on how to speak about Northern Ireland for a young fella, you know. You, 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 you have a touch of imposter syndrome about you, do you? That you're wondering, how, yeah. how am I in this book? Totally. Well, well I, I enjoyed your, your story. It read oh. to me like a... Do you know what it read to me like a little episode of Derry Girls, in a way? <laughs> I was first, PJ. <laughs> there you go. Now, we better tell them. Um, this, this is probably the best small world story of all time. <laughs> you were on the radio with me talking about the diary, and we realized something. Yes, we did. And now we're talking today on the 40th anniversary of that something happening which is completely bizarre, isn't it? It was Rome. So, it was Rome. So in 1981, we went on a school trip to Rome. Um, we went to Salzburg, so it was under the guise of a music um, school trip. We went to Salzburg, then we went to Rome, and we arrived in Rome, and it was like, you know, a, a bunch of, of convent girls from Uri let loose. <laughs> We went fuck mad, but um, at one point we were at the Trevi Fountain, and I think oh, we were singing, and um, we just took it upon ourselves that we were going to sing a load of Irish songs. I'm sure it irritated everybody around us, but there was a gang of fellas there, and they were from Cork, weren't they, PJ? They were, <laughs> and you were on the radio with me when we realised A and B equals C. <laughs> and your group and my group were dancing like Egypt around the Trevi Fountain 40 years ago. So you were in that group that I wrote about in my diary. So you are in my diary. And then we realised 30-something years later that that was us. The book in which Brona's story features, The New Frontier, is in all good bookshops now. You'll find that famous diary on Twitter. Just search for Norn Iron Girl 1981. 
See, can you spot me there? Thanks, Brona, for the chat. Let's catch up for real in 2022. And thanks to you, as always, for listening. I'll be back with a new interview next Saturday. If you want to catch up with previous episodes, you can do that. They're all on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. So until next time, have a good week and stay safe. Thank you for listening to 20 Minutes With, a short podcast for a busy world. Please help to spread the word and watch social media for news of our next episode.